Yeah, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Let's stand up. Let's sing this together. It's been a great song we've been singing for a while. Count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. Working all things out. Say,
Yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a day where we could come and uh, remember what it is that you've done for us and remember that uh, we can say thank you. We can say we love you no matter what we're going through because our circumstances don't define our faith. Um, your circumstance defines our faith and what you've done for us for eternity has defined our faith. So uh, God, strengthen our faith today, we pray, um, amidst our circumstances and help us to be a people who call out to you and cry out to you no matter what we're going through. It may be a beautiful season right now. It may be a really difficult season or somewhere in between. So for all of us, Lord, for some reason, we take our turn in this life. And the Bible says that rain will fall on the just and the unjust. And we know that tough things are going to happen to good and bad people. And it just is. And uh, so it's this beautiful, uh, wild, mysterious life that you've given. And so we take it for a gift and we choose to praise and we choose to glorify because you are so good and you've been so good to us. May you have uh, a sense of accepting that kind of worship today from us. May you have a sense of having that kind of attention from us today uh, in this hour that we're together. So Lord, we love you and we dedicate this morning to you in the name of Jesus. We all pray and say as a church, amen. God bless you, gang. Uh, my name's Billy. Glad you're here. Uh, say hi to somebody around you. We'll see you back in a second. Thanks. Well, good morning. Again, yeah, I'm Billy Petty. I'm the worship pastor here. It's great to have you here today. Glad you've chosen Hope Vale. Uh, beautiful Memorial Day weekend. I hope you've spent time remembering. Memories are a thing that's running through my mind a big bunch this weekend, too. Thanking the Lord for our freedom as a country. Thanking the Lord for all that we have. So happy Memorial Day weekend to everybody. Hey, uh, if you are new with us, if you're just checking us out for whatever reason today, uh, glad you're here. Hope uh, you've maybe sensed a little bit of a red carpet uh, as you walked in, greeters saying hi and people being friendly around you just now. And if they weren't friendly, sorry, they're not from here. <laughs> so uh, we do have a gift for you out these doors right here and toward the center. Uh, at the welcome desk, we have like a little tumbler and we have some information about our church if you'd like to read up on us. And of course, there's a lot online. If you have any questions for us too, you can ask me or Pastor Paul, who you'll see at the end of the service today, or even Mike, who's speaking today. He can answer some things or um, point you to one of us. That would be great. Well, uh, just a couple of announcements, uh, really just one big announcement going on today. Uh, next Sunday, June 2nd, it's June already, my gosh. Um, June 2nd will be our annual business meeting, and that's going to be in our venue, which is over on this side of our campus, on the south side, and um, it's for, at 1230. And in this meeting, we'll be talking about our budget and some staffing stuff that's going on and, and what the future will look like. And so uh, if you have any questions or uh, concerns or yays or whatever, please make your way to the venue next Sunday at 1230. Love to have you there for our, our church business meeting. So ushers, if you would, uh, feel free to come forward. And this is a time in our service where, we, where the church as, as a church will receive an offering. It's your time to give 
to God, um, not to Hopevale. Uh, Hopevale hopefully is a place that inspires you, and that's great. But this giving is between you and the Lord, as Scripture says. You know, and there's all over all over the place in Scripture it talks about how uh, your giving is to the Lord and for the Lord and for the work of the Lord. And of course, it goes to a lot of things here at Hopevale, but it goes to a lot beyond too that uh, we support in different areas and locally, like rescue mission stuff and all kinds of stuff globally with missionaries and things. So. Uh, thank you for uh, giving to the Lord today. God is very honored by that. So let's pray, friends, and ask that God would bless it. Lord, um, today is your day. It's Sunday. Uh, Sundays always feel a little different. Um, it's a day of rest. It's a day of celebration uh, for all you've done in our lives. It's a day of reset. It's a day of perspective. Um, as we give today, uh, God, I pray that this is a part of uh, this Christian life, this Christian walk that you've called us to live, not just giving you our time and our talent, but our, our treasures. Pray, Father, that uh, you are blessed by what's given today, and God, that you would use it for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom's work here at Hopevale and beyond. Thank you, Lord, so much for our friends that uh, call Hopevale home and want to support what is uh, happening here, what you're doing here, God. So we love you, Lord. It's in your name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to continue to worship as we give. Feel free to stay seated for now. And uh, we're going to sing this song, No Sweeter Name, that we uh, learned last week. Beautiful song. No sweeter name than the name of Jesus. Take us in here.
God, as we prepare our hearts today to turn our corner to communion, um, turn our hearts uh, toward com communion, um, Lord, uh, would you hear from us just for a moment in silence? God, maybe there's some things we need just to get right before you today. Maybe we want to confess some of those things. So in silence, Lord, would you hear from us right now? those are the prayers of your people and um, would you continue to hear from us as we take communion and meditate today as we remember today well, thank you for the psalms that says that uh, you are about uh, the things of a contrite heart and a broken spirit help us to be a thankful people that just have our hearts right toward you and spirits that are just broken for the things of you God in your name amen God bless you, gang. Have a seat. Well, once a month here at Hopevale, we take time to remember. We take time to sit and remember, uh, of all things, being Memorial Day weekend. Uh, remember, we're remembering a lot this weekend, but we're remembering what the Lord Jesus did for us through his life and through his death and through his resurrection uh, through communion today. As your pastoral staff, there's just a few logistics that we like to cover, just a couple, just, a, just three, um, before we take communion. Number one, uh, we just always like to say that membership is not required here at Hopevale to take communion. Uh, we just ask that you're a Christian and that uh, you've made the Lord uh, your Savior, and that's been, a, some, that's been something that uh, you've done in your life, so feel free to participate if that's you. Uh, number two, if that's not you... Uh, we just asked that the cup and the plate would pass you by uh, because a communion is for Christians. And um, don't feel awkward if you're passing the plate because sometimes Christians pass the plate and don't participate in communion because maybe they just don't feel like they're in a place where they're ready. So uh, people will not know who you are if you just pass it. So feel free to just pass it along. And number three, parents, if uh, you have children with you, we just ask that you'd use discretion. That would be great. Well, I want to give you just a couple more reasons why there's no sweeter name than the name of Jesus, you know. Um, and as we think about memories today, memories give us hope. Um, because when we're hopeless, uh, we look back and we count on what we know is true. We count on what we know is good and what is right, what's for sure. Sometimes our memories serve up negative stories of our past. And thank the Lord we're not defined by those things. Thank God we're defined by the saving grace of Jesus Christ and that we'll have an eternal home with him forever in heaven. Uh, and Pastor Mike uh, will be speaking about that today in just a little bit, uh, which is great. We're going to, great day to take communion and think about heaven and this, uh, what will be forever and what will be for eternity. So um, speaking of memories, uh, Alzheimer's and dementia is a tough thing to go through uh, as a family. I don't know if it's one of the worst things to go through, but losing your memories is hard. Uh, there's no way around it, you know. Um, uh, there could be people in here today that are wrestling with some memory things, and that's tough. And, you know, prayers for you that God would bless you in this season. Um, you know, my wife and I took care of my grandparents for a lot of years, and uh, we just experienced such a sweet time with my grandpa when he had dementia. And um, he was in a World War II, uh, World War II vet, and uh, he was in a PT boat that got blown out of the water by a missile. And um, just a couple people lived, and he was one of them. And on his honorable discharge papers, it said... Uh, that he will likely have, uh, it was a blast concussion is what it was called, and he will likely have um, memory issues for when he's older. And if that was not just a gigantically prophetic statement, 
um, in his last, you know, five, six, seven years of his life, maybe even more, maybe ten, but he struggled with dementia. And that was, that was tough, um, you know, to, as he was forgetting, and he'd get scared, and we were all there for him. It was just a sweet time of life to be with him in those moments and really miss him a ton. Um, so we sit today. So we remember today. Thank the Lord for our memories. In Luke 22, 19, it says, do this in remembrance of me. Those are the words of Jesus himself at the Last Supper. Remembrance. So we sit and we remember. It's good, so, so good um, for us to do that, to remember what he's done for us. So, you know, friends, um, I, I'm sure you're like me, and I'm one of your pastors, but you know, you're not always going to be inspired in your life. You're not always going to feel God. You're not always going to like have this sense of like God is with me even now. If that's you and that happens all the time, that's awesome. Um, for some people, that doesn't happen all the time. And you're like, I'm not feeling the presence of God right now. So I don't know if something's off or what I should be doing. But, um, you know, our memories serve as such a powerful thing because we can look back and remember what God did and remember who he's been and what we know for sure, even in moments of dr- drought, of what we, you know, maybe consider what would be dry. And we have to work through those things. We have to worship through some of those things too to find again this sense of God's presence in our life. That's why I love that song that we sang today, Yes, I Will. Um, you know, uh, in the lowest valley, uh, Yes, I Will, bless your name. That just rocks me to my core because uh, we all go through stuff, right? Well, in the Old Testament, um, families uh, would uh, build monuments and rocks, altars um, of remembrance. And it would make it so the kids could ask their mom and dad, Mom, Dad, what is this thing? And and parents would say, uh, well, this is the time when God did this, or this is the time that God did that. So it was a time for them to remember what God did. So they served as like this little visual reminder. It's beautiful. I love that idea. I've seen uh, in several different churches. In fact, I was about seven years ago, I worked in Nashville for about a year. I was a professor of this worship, worship uh, uh, leadership thing that we were doing. And, um, and we, it was my job to go out to some different churches and some meet some worship pastors and kind of talk to them about what we're doing at our school. And um, in different churches, like five, six, seven churches, one had like a quilt, one had like this, uh, this big, beautiful, like, rock garden inside with water flowing, but on this quilt and on this rock garden and on this rock wall and all these things, they had these memories of different things that happened in the life of their church. It was beautiful. Uh, have, uh, everybody here before the service, the five-minute the five countdown, did you watch that? Uh, Philip Winterstein, uh, he's our, on our tech staff, he's producing today, he put that together to serve as, like, a reminder of what where Hope Vale's been through the years and, and just serve as those memories to say it all leads up to now. It's like this is where God's done and this is what God's doing now. So we thank the Lord for our memories. We thank the Lord for what God's done. And even before Jesus showed up on scene, Psalm seventy-seven, eleven says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. What a beautiful reminder. Ushers, please come forward. We're going to take communion today, friends. And... Um, for those of us taking communion today, we come with this heart of remembrance and this heart of thanksgiving and this heart that asks God to change us and mold us more into the likeness of who he is as we uh, eat the bread and take the cup. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you remembered us 
And so today we'll remember you. You took on pain for our sake. And as Isaiah said uh, in the scriptures in the Old Testament, prophesying says, by your stripes we are healed. We bless your name for that. And by taking on punishment, we were set free. We praise you for that. We're eternally grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers will now pass out the bread and the cup in one plate. Please hold the the bread and the cup. Hold both elements and we'll take them together in just a few moments. So just feel free to just meditate and pray or eyes open or eyes closed in these moments as the elements are passed. So God, we thank you for allowing us to remember We thank you for um, allowing us to learn more about what you did for us through your life and on the cross and through your resurrection and the hope that it gives us for heaven. So God, as we learn about heaven today, um, pray for Pastor Mike that the words of his mouth will give you praise. And uh, sometimes we need a still small whisper to give us a reset and a perspective. Sometimes it needs to really just hit hit us across the head. So whatever you want to do, God, through your Holy Spirit today, we pray and we're open for that. We all pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Before Pastor Mike comes, let's worship together as we we conclude our communion time. Let's sing. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I Bless your name. Stand. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. And I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify. By the name of all names, nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names, nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. Nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. Nothing can stand against, oh yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley, yes, I will bless your name. Sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. Yeah. Sweet time of worship, friends. Have a seat.
Well, good morning, Hopevale, and good morning, uh, Bay City. Thank you for letting me come here these uh, four weeks in May. I feel like I've made some new friends, and I'm really excited to see what God's doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing through you here in Saginaw and in Bay City, so thanks for letting me be a part of this. We're going to wrap this up today with, um, well, we just did the Lord's Supper, right, where we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, and I want to talk about the until he comes part, or what we call hope. Right, if you notice, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, the three great virtues are faith, hope, and love. And we're right to focus on that love's number one. But don't forget, hope made the cut. Hope is one of the top three Christian virtues, and you realize that if you ever feel hopeless. And I'm sure in a crowd this size, there's people here who, who feel through circumstances, through disease or job loss, you feel despair. You feel hopeless and you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. We need hope just to live. Well, this morning we're going to talk about what the Christian hope is. And by hope, we mean not just wishing. We use the word hope very loosely, right? I, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or I hope they accept my offer. Or, I, I hope the Lions draft a wide receiver, right? We, mean just by, we just mean we wish. That's not what we mean in the Bible by hope. Hope is not just wishing, but hope is faith, faith in the future. And in scripture, faith is always built on knowledge. Faith is committing and trusting to what you know. So even though none of us have experienced the future yet, we can say what's been revealed in this book, we know what's coming. And we put all of our weight, all of our trust in this promised future. And this promised future has has two parts, what happens when we die and what happens after that. And you may be curious, I hope you are, like, wait, two parts? Isn't it we just die and go to heaven and, and that's it? Well, praise God, if you're in Christ, when you die, your soul does go to be with Jesus. What an immense comfort. I, I never want to minimize that great comfort. But that's not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is not that you go to heaven and get stuck. The Christian hope is the three R's. We believe, we know, in the return of Christ and the resurrection of the body and the restoration of all things. And those three things, as great as heaven is, those three things haven't happened yet when your soul goes to be in, with Jesus in heaven. So I do think we should be a little more careful how we talk at funerals. A lot of funerals, our loved one is, whatever they were good at, they're just doing the same thing but better up there, right? So if they were a musician, they're now jamming in heaven's band. If they're a golfer, they're hitting all the celestial fairways. If they were annoying, they're really a pain in the neck now. Um, <laughs> but how are they doing all these things, right? Their body's right here, waiting its resurrection. So we don't want to oversell heaven either. Here's the tension I feel. Heaven is terrific, right? But if we front load heaven with all of the promised future, there's no need for Jesus to return or for this body to rise again or for all things to be restored. It's sort of like when your kids were small, you, at least some of you still have them, but when my kids were small, we would have um, Christmas morning presents but then Christmas Eve, we let them open their stockings or just one of their presents and not the best one. So we would parcel out their gifts. So something like that. When we die and go to heaven, we'll get the best present we've ever gotten. 
will be live in the presence of Christ. But God doesn't give us everything all at once. He wants to save the very best gifts and the fullness of the gifts until the Christmas morning of our resurrection. So, what happens when we die? Well, the scriptures say we meet Jesus. Right, Luke 23, 43, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, I want to die and be at home with the Lord. Philippians 1, Paul says, I want to depart and be with Christ. That's what the Bible says. When you die, you go to be with Jesus. So, of course, there's, we call them heavenly tourism books, where stories of people who've died and gone to heaven, they started out with 90 minutes in heaven, which sparked another book. Someone went the other direction and wrote, my 23 minutes in hell, which means we're one Roman Catholic book away from completing the afterlife trifecta, a book with the title, My Nine Minutes in Purgatory, <laughs> which seemed like forever because it was purgatory. Um, so these books, if you want to read them, fine, but I want to put all my weight on what the Bible says. And what the Bible says is, we're with the Lord. And that's enough. Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. That's why Lazarus was okay with being raised from the dead. Why didn't Lazarus complain? Oh, man, I was in heaven. Why'd you bring me back here? He didn't complain because Jesus was there. And Jesus' presence made Bethany itself a corner of heaven on earth. So when we die, the Bible says we go to meet Jesus. Have you thought about that moment ever? The very first time you see Jesus? Think about it. Your very worst moment will be followed up by your very best. When we die, we die in utter weakness and complete dependence. We depend on others even to take care of our bodies after we're gone. We're never more weak than the moment of our death. And the very next moment, we see Jesus. Ever wonder, like, how is that going to go? How will you greet him with a handshake? A fist bump? Will you have questions you've always wanted to ask him? Like, why did my child have cancer? What about the Holocaust? Who wrote Hebrews? No. Here's how this is going to go, I think. Revelation chapter 1. When John, Jesus' best friend, meets Jesus, he unraveled in his presence. In Revelation 1, we read about Jesus. His eyes are blazing fire. His feet are glowing Bronze, like in a furnace. His voice is like a rushing waters. And John, his very best friend, fell at Jesus' feet as though he was dead. And then Jesus placed his right hand on John and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So something like that. We will fall at Jesus' feet. He will put his hand on us and raise us and say something like that and then add something personal. Jesus will not address each one of us with off-the-rack, one-size-fits-all greetings. He's, he's not a mall Santa who has a assembly line questions. But Revelation 2, verse 17 says, Jesus says, I'll give to that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. 
each one of us will receive a new name from Jesus that only he and we know. If you read Revelation 4 through 7, you also realize, you were told that in heaven there will be worship, glorious worship. So as we worship on Sunday morning, what we're doing are the appetizers of heaven, the hors d'oeuvres of heaven. We're practicing for that heavenly worship. What can be more exciting, more fulfilling than worshiping Christ in the assembly of a multicultural diverse of people from every tribe, nation, and kindred? And yet, as great as heaven will be, because Jesus is there and we're worshiping him, we'll still want something more. In Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, we read, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. I noticed three things there. First of all, these saints in heaven, they're praying. They're talking to God about what's happening here on earth. We call this the communion of saints. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the communion of saints. And what that means is, whether you're alive in Christ or you're part of the blessed dead in heaven with Christ, these are two wings of the church, the church militant and the church triumphant. And these two wings meet in Jesus. And what that means is, if you're in Christ and your loved one is in Christ, you're never completely separated from them. You're still connected to that person in Christ. And that person, we don't know for sure, but that person may be praying for you. Uh, these saints in heaven are praying, and Martin Luther, Origen, uh, a lot of early church fathers, John Wesley, they thought that when you go to heaven, there's a job for you to do. Heaven is not just a celestial hammock where you just go and just um, wait for the end. You may have a job to do. Your job may be to pray for those who are still in the contest. Kind of like if you're on a, uh, well, Kevin Durant right now, right? Kevin Durant, um, I'm a, from Northeast Ohio, so I'm a Cleveland fan, so all kinds of issues there. But we finally won a championship, and then Golden State is just unbeatable. Fine, whatever. Um, but so Kevin Durant is no longer, he's injured, right? But he's still on the sidelines here cheering on his team. He can't play in the game, but he's still a part of it. So something like that. Right now, we're in the game. When we die, we move to the sideline, but we're still, we're still cheering. We're part of that gray cloud of witnesses that are praying for those who are still fighting. They can pray for us. And we also, because we're still connected in Christ, we also can talk to God, to Jesus, about them. I've got a good friend who, who lost a daughter in a tragic car accident. And he says, you know what? I often tell Jesus, give Laura a hug for me. That's not just right. That's possible. Because we believe in the communion of saints. We're still connected in Christ. I also notice that these people in Revelation 6, they're still in time. They're saying, how long? 
So when we die, we don't actually step into eternity. Only God is eternal. Only God is outside of time. You and I are temporal creatures because we're creatures. We'll always be in time. Now things in this life, because of the fall, they break down over time. But if you're in an unfallen spot, it's okay that time goes, time just means succession of events. This and that and that. So if the idea of eternity intimidates you, if the idea of being outside of time terrifies you, good news, you'll never be outside of time. You'll be, these saints in heaven are saying how long, which means they're still in time. And also I noticed that they're impatient. Right? Please hear this carefully. There's no pain in heaven. There's no suffering in heaven, but there is impatience. As great as it is to be a disembodied soul in the presence of Jesus, these saints want something more. They want Jesus to return, resurrect their bodies, put them back together. And they want to live with Jesus here on this restored earth. And they want to be vindicated. Right? These are the martyrs who left this life as losers. They were slaughtered. They left, the authorities said, you don't deserve to live. They left this place as low as you can leave it. And they're praying, Lord, how long till you return and vindicate us? Show those people that we were on the right side of history. And Jesus hands them a robe and says, I will, but not yet. Wait a little bit longer. So here's the point. And please listen carefully because it's an easily be, be confused. Heaven as heaven is not the goal of the Bible. The Christian hope is not that we die and go to heaven. Jesus is the goal, right? Jesus is our goal. Jesus is our hope, not heaven. In fact, if you think about it, the only reason anyone ever goes to heaven anyway is because of sin, right? God put Adam and Eve on this planet and gave them that test we looked at last week. Don't eat of the tree. It's hypothetical, but we assume if they had passed the test, they would have, God would have just, okay, you passed the probation, I will come down, and I will live with you here now. But because they disobeyed God, because they rebelled, now they were going to die. And what happens at death? Our bodies and souls are unnaturally ripped apart. And our bodies stay here to be buried and our souls go to heaven. Praise God, they go to heaven to be with Jesus. But that was never the plan. We only go to heaven because of death, and we only die because of sin. So again, praise God, what a comfort. If you're in Christ, your soul does go to heaven. But the Christian hope is that heaven is just the first leg of a journey that's round trip. If you're in Christ and you die, you're coming back. We believe in the three R's. First, the return of Christ. The glorious, physical, triumphant return of Christ. Jesus, it could be today, Jesus will return to rule and reign over this earth. And by the way, this is a Christian distinctive. Every other religion says the good stuff happens someplace else. So Buddhists want to go to nirvana, some other place. Um, Native Americans want to go to that happy hunting ground in the sky. 
Muslims want to go to paradise, some other place. Only Jesus says, no, the good stuff comes here. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. In fact, that's almost the last words of the Bible. And the very last prayer of the Bible is, Lord, come. So when my friend Jan was in hospice, and she had bone cancer, she was suffering, and she was having visions of heaven, she was ready to go. As I prayed with her, I didn't pray, Lord, take her. I said, Lord, you come. Stop her pain, not by her death. What a comfort that she did die and she is with you, but we want you to end her pain, not by her death, but by your return. We pray for the kingdom to come, not for God to take us out of this place. So when someone dies, you can say they went home to be with the Lord. The Bible says that. But it's complicated. Sort of like um, if you know a college student in fall semester and you say, are you going home for Christmas? And let's say their parents have moved that during the semester. They say, well, yeah, I'm going home, but not exactly. I'm going home to be with my parents, but it's not my place. I've never lived in this house. I've never been to this town. So I am going home, but, but not in the fullest sense. So something like that. If you die, you do go to home because you're going to be with Jesus. Jesus is our spiritual home. Jesus is whom we are to live forever with. But you won't be fully home in the broadest sense until Jesus returns and brings you back here to this place. So Jesus is our spiritual home. The earth is our geographical home. Jesus is whom we are to live forever with and the earth is where we are to live forever with him. So we believe in the return of Christ and in the resurrection of our bodies. I hate when people tell me to do this because I'm not a joiner, but just humor me. Everyone touch your, touch your arm. Just touch your body. If you don't want to do it, no, go ahead and do it. <laughs> this body will rise again. If your resurrection body is too different from this body, then you have not been redeemed. You've been replaced. Okay, you let go now. That's not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is for the redemption of our bodies. This body somehow will rise again. And we believe in the restoration of all things. So let's talk about that, our final home. So what happens when we die? We go to heaven. What happens after that? We come back. The Bible says our final home, it's here. Isaiah says it, Isaiah 65, 17. There'll be a new heaven, new earth. 2 Peter 3, new heaven, new earth. Revelation 21, 1, there'll be a new heaven, new earth. And by, by, hev- by new heaven and new earth, what they mean is, uh, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the end, Revelation 21, there'll be a new heaven, new earth. So by heaven, just think sky, where airplanes fly. There'll be a, there's a creation, and there's a new creation. And by the way, you may be thinking, well, wait, John 14, 1 to 6, doesn't Jesus say, I go to prepare a place for you? Doesn't that, isn't that Jesus telling us that the place prepared for you is up there somewhere? Well, John wrote that in John 14, right? In Revelation 21, John finishes a thought and says that place that Jesus has gone to prepare, that place comes down from heaven to earth. So, Our final home is what the Bible says three times, the new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. Uh, Interesting, if you have your Bibles, look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 
how we get to that new creation, there's a fire that's coming in 2 Peter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. There's a very intense fire that's coming. Now, the King James Version ends chapter 10 by saying the earth and everything in it will be burned up. So the King James, of course, is a fine translation. In fact, my wife recently said that she wants to get one because this is the Bible she grew up with and all of her memory verses are in the King James. And I said, honey, let's not buy one. Just next time we're at a hotel, we'll, we'll take the Gideons. <laughs> it's, it's what they want you to do. It's why it's there. They'll replace it. It's, it's, it's fine. Um, so the King James is a great translation. But we now think it got verse 10 at the end here wrong when it says the earth and everything in it will be burned up. Because generations of Christians, English-speaking Christians, read that, they thought, oh, this whole place is going to be annihilated. But we now think that, the, my NIV reads it, will, the phrase will be laid bare or be found or be discovered to be what it is. So here's the question. That there is an intense fire that's coming. Will this fire blow up everything, annihilate everything, turn everything back just to ashes? Or is this fire that's coming going to, like a smelting furnace, purge and cleanse the creation? Reasons to think it's a purging fire, not an annihilating fire. Uh, in 2 Peter 3, verse 6, Peter compares this coming fire to Noah's flood. And he said Noah's flood destroyed the world. Well, the flood didn't annihilate the world, did it? It, it cleansed the world. It washed all the sin and sinners away. And if that's Peter's point of comparison, then just as that flood cleansed the world, so this coming fire will cleanse the world again. And in 1 Peter 1, 7, Peter has used the analogy of a smelting furnace. He says, trials have come that they may cleanse your faith. So also theologically, I, I like the idea that Satan wins nothing in the end. Right? If God annihilates this planet, it's, I think, a tacit admission that Satan, you messed up this planet, even I can't get it back. I've got to blow it up and start over. Also in scripture, we never hear about a new world or a new cosmos. What scripture says is there's one world, one cosmos with more than one age. So Jesus says in Matthew 12, if you sin against the Holy Spirit, that sin will not be forgiven neither in this age nor in the age to come. So we have one world with more than one age. So you know that cartoonish figure with the guy holding a sign, the end of the world is near. That's not the biblical language. The Bible says there's one world, and this age will come to an end, but the new age is dawning. So there's reasons to say this fire that's coming is just a purging fire. Actually, I think it's, it's a moot point, right? Because even if this world is annihilated, God who made this world from nothing can recreate the same world from nothing again. He's already going to have to do that with people, right? Peter, Paul, James, John... After 2,000 years, there's probably nothing left of them. They've decomposed all the way just to dirt. And yet, Peter and Paul and James and John will be here on the new earth. So if God can do that with individuals, he can sure do that with, with people. So how we get from this age to the next age, interesting question. The Bible doesn't say for sure, but there's reasons to think the fire that's coming won't annihilate everything, but it will cleanse it. 
What we do know is that the end is a new heaven and a new earth. Newness implies different. Something's changed on this planet, and earth implies something is still the same. So here's a question that's really important. What is the same about this planet at the end, and what has been changed? Well, we have an important clue in 2 Peter 3.13. Peter says, we look forward to a new heaven and new earth, the home of righteousness. Remember our very first week we said some words can be nouns or verbs, things or actions. It's important to tell the difference. What kind of word is righteousness? A word that describes actions, right? So when Peter looks at the new earth, he doesn't see new things. He says what stands out as different about the new earth is That earth is the home of righteousness. This world is fallen and suffering under the the weight of evil, but the new earth is where righteousness dwells. He doesn't see any new things. What Peter sees are things that are here that are fixed. God says as much in Revelation 21.5, the voice from the throne says, Behold, I'm making all things new. Notice God doesn't say, behold, I'm making all new things. I'm not making new things. I'm taking what's already here and I'm fixing them. I'm restoring them. So I believe the new world, it's this world that's been fixed. Just like we use newness like this already, right? Um, February, when you haven't seen the sun since December, and you're feeling really depressed, and you're having all these um, issues, and the sun peeks out for 10 minutes, and suddenly you find yourself whistling, it's a small world after all. Oh, I'm a new person. It's still you, but you're fixed. When I was a poor seminary student, I had a 83 Escort that kept breaking down. In fact, the passenger door fell completely off. I had to tie it with a rope, and West Michigan women are so uppity. They won't go out with you if they have to crawl in your door and cross the stick shift. So I was pretty lonely, but I would be driving home from the mechanic thinking, oh, it's like I have a new car. It's the same beater with the rope that I always had, but, but it was fixed. So the new world, our hope, it's for this planet to be fixed. What that means is, if you're in Christ, you don't need a bucket list. It's just not true. That you have to cram it all in this time around. If you're in Christ, you're returning. And think about the new world. I love this world. I love the creation. I love peaches and strawberries that are coming and, and ice cream. I love flavors. I love colors. But every, every strawberry I've ever eaten has come from cursed soil. Imagine the flavors on the new earth when the curse is reversed. You haven't seen the color blue yet. Imagine how it will pop. If you like being human and you like being here, you're going to really like the new world. So we have more questions than answers, but here's a good rule of thumb. If you want to know what part of this experience will be here at the end, here's a good question. If it belongs to creation, it should be here. If it belongs to the fall, it should be gone. Because redemption is restoring creation. So if something's a part of creation, Lake, I wouldn't be shocked if there's a Lake Michigan on the New World. Ann Arbor will be gone because it's part of the fall. Um, <laughs> I am a Buckeye. Um, Columbus, hey, that's redemption. Um, but scars, handicaps, things that are part of the fall, 
they should be gone. Examples include uh, culture. In Revelation 21, verses 24 through 26, John says the gates of the New Jerusalem are never shut. And gates standing open, that symbolizes trade and commerce. There'll be business without the effects of the fall and the corruption and the greed. But there will be, if I make something and you make something, we say, hey, let's swap. We'll be able to do that on the new world. Isaiah chapter 60 says, on this new world, there'll be gold and silver. There'll be flocks of Kedar, rams of Neboeth, camels from Midian. There will be animals on the new earth. So I'm not saying your pet will be in heaven or on the new earth. But there will be dogs there. No cats, because cats are clearly part of the fall. Um, <laughs> but there will be dogs there that look suspiciously like yours. And Isaiah 65, 21 says, On this new earth, we'll build houses in them and dwell in them. We'll plant vineyards and eat their non-alcoholic fruit. That's my Baptist translation. Um, but it works if you, if you know Hebrew and you have a glass of wine, actually. It's what it says. Uh, but the new world will be very earthy, very ordinary. If it's part of creation, it should be here because it's restored. If it's part of the fall, it'll be gone. There's just a couple exceptions to this rule. Uh, first, with creation. The one good of creation, which won't be on the new earth, world, appears to be marriage. We know this because in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked a trick question. What about the woman with eight she married eight brothers in succession. They kept dying. She kept remarrying. How dumb was that fifth guy? <laughs> like, this is really going to work out for me? No, just run. But, but she married eight guys, and who would she be married to? And Jesus said, well, there won't be marriage on the new world. Um, I think because of the fall, there's divorce and there's death. And so there's remarriage. So even God can't put one marriage back together without violating another. But actually, we'll all be married we're all the bride of Christ, right? At the marriage supper of the Lamb, Ephesians 5.32, Paul says, even right now, our marriages are actually a shadow of the deeper marriage. We'll all be married to Christ. And there's two things with the fall which seem to never be fixed. In Isaiah 65.25, when it says, the wolf and the lamb will lie down together, the lion will straw like the ox. Carnivorousness is removed, yet dust will be the serpent's food. The snake was cursed back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. That curse is never lifted. And Jesus still bears his scars. I think this is important because on the new earth, when we've been here 10,000 years and everything is wonderful, we'll never get cocky. Every time we see a snake, we'll remember our sin. Every time we see Jesus and his scars, we'll remember the price he paid. And then lastly... I've been holding out on you. I've said every week, the Bible story of creation, fall, and redemption. Actually, there's also a consummation. God doesn't just restore this creation. He consummates it. He takes it to a higher place. It was always intended to go. The end of the Bible, the end of our story, the end of your story is better than the original Garden of Eden in at least five ways. Uh, quickly, first, we'll have on this new earth spiritual bodies. 1 Corinthians 15. That doesn't mean not physical. In Luke 24, Jesus, after his resurrection, said, touch me. I'm not a ghost. I'm, I'm human. And then he couldn't believe it. He said, well, can I eat something? And he ate fish, which is kind of, this is on the night of his resurrection, right? History's greatest act. Jesus has risen from the dead. 
A few hours later, he's demonstrating the life skills of a toddler. Look, I'm chewing. It's going down. Kind of pathetic, but I'm glad it's there. It tells us that even Jesus, in his resurrection body, is still fully human. So we'll still be physical, but we'll be more than physical. Our bodies will be unable to be hurt or damaged. So I'm saving hang gliding and bungee jumping for the new world. It's ridiculous to try it now. I've got forever to do that with my spiritual body. Why not wait? Um, Also have ever escalating culture. In the beginning, there was a Garden of Eden. In the end, there's a city that comes down from heaven. What's the difference between a garden and a city? Culture. So when Jesus returns, he will not take out a giant eraser and say, whoa, 6,000 years of human history, pretty impressive. Back to the garden, start over. It looks like we enter the new earth at whatever cultural moment we've achieved. So Jesus, of course, is the center of our existence, the center of our hope. Jesus is the center of the new earth. But there's also a circumference. We'll be worshiping Jesus forever, but we'll also do other things, cultural things. We'll have Bach on the new earth, and Bach will write music, and he'll have forever to write music without the handicap of sin. Imagine what we'll be singing. Imagine the the technology, the, the travel, when you've got forever without sin burdening us. We'll also be glorified. In the beginning, Adam and Eve created in righteousness, but they could sin and they did. In the end, we'll be confirmed in righteousness. We'll be unable to sin and we'll know it. We'll have the peace of mind that God will not allow us to ever mess this up. A fourth fourth better is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. It doesn't mean us with God, it means God with us. And every time God appears in the Bible, he stays here a little bit longer and in a little bit more permanent form. In Eden, he came and left, came and left. Then he's a pillar of fire in the cloud, leading Israel out of of Egypt. Then he comes as Jesus. Now he's present within us as the Spirit. And it ends, are you kidding me? It ends with God himself coming to live here forever. This world is good enough for God. It will be God's home. Heaven, the throne of God, will literally become one with earth. We sing that Christmas carol, until heaven and earth are one. That's the Christian hope. Joy to the world. And then lastly, we'll have a, at the end, a deeper appreciation of God, more than Adam and Eve ever could have. In 1 Peter 1.12, we're told that angels stand on tiptoe, trying to understand something about God. What is that? I think it's grace. Only forgiven sinners can understand how loving God is. The fallen angels, they didn't get a chance. Adam and Eve didn't need it yet. But we, who've been forgiven, know God more deeply than any angel ever could. So God has just restored this place. He consummates it. The end will be better than even the, the beginning. So here's the point. Our choice before us is not between heaven and hell. The biblical choice that all of us have is between hell or here. Would you like to live here on this restored planet forever and ever? Then repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ and all this will be yours. Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth. 
That wasn't a metaphor. He meant it. We are the heirs of God. If you're the heirs of somebody, you own their stuff. What does God own? Everything. Maybe you've had a hard life. But I don't want to be here. I want to escape from this place. I appreciate that, but let me just, just think with me. Everything you don't like about your life, you can trace back to, fall, to the fall. When the fall is fixed, when the curse is reversed, you will flat out love it here. And it would be compelling to say you've had a hard life, you've suffered, you've been miserable, and praise God, you get to escape and you're never coming back. Okay, that'd be something. But isn't it greater? Isn't it a better story to say, no, you're coming back. In this time, you're going to get over. At the very spot where you, where, you, where, you, where you were humiliated, at the very spot where you were embarrassed, at the very spot where you left this place as a loser, you will reign with Christ. And others will know it. So, we all have a choice. On the one hand, we can choose sin and death and hell. Or we can choose Jesus and life and here. If you like being human and you enjoy being here, you're going to really like the new earth. Jesus died to give us all that choice. The next time he comes back, and it may be today, the choice is, is done. If you leave here today without making the choice for Christ, you have made the choice. You've chosen sin, death, and hell. How foolish, how completely unnecessary. Be fully human. Be fully alive. Turn from your sin. Put all your faith in Christ. And all of this that you see around you, all of this, one day, will be yours. Choose life. Father, thank you for the gospel, for Jesus. It's just too, too big. It's, we can't get our arms around it. We, even to say thank you sounds just trite. We're just overwhelmed by the story that we're in. I thank you that it's your story, that you're writing it. And we get to be bit players. And Father, I ask if there's anyone here who, who doesn't know that they're in your story, that they realize they're heading, they've rejected you, and they're heading for a terrible future. May your spirit draw them gently, kindly. Let them know that you love them, and Jesus died for them. They don't have to live this way, but they can live with joy now, knowing the future that's promised. We give you thanks. friends, before we leave, let's stand and celebrate um, Jesus Christ, who gives us the promise of our eternal home and our eternal heaven.
Uh, thank you for being here today on behalf of Hopevale Church. Mike, we have loved these last four weeks. We reserve the right to invite you back sometime again in the future. Uh, next Sunday, we will begin a series with Pastor Mike Garner called Bear Fruit out of the Gospel of John. We are looking forward to that. And two quick things for you as you go today. First of all, in the lobby, we have copies of Mike Whitmer's book, Becoming Worldly Saints. Uh, his series that he has shared with us is based on this book. So if you want to take a deeper dive into the truth that Jesus shared with us through Mike these last four weeks, you want to stop at the info desk over there and grab one on your way out. They're 10 bucks a piece, which is cheaper than you could find on Amazon or Zondervan. And also want to remind you that since today is Communion Sunday, the elders are available in the hub, in the room right next to the desk out in the lobby. If you have something going on in your life where you would like to pray, have one of our elders pray with you, pray for you, or maybe something you heard today has sparked a question in you and you would like to talk and pray with one of our elders, they are over there and they would love for you to make your way over there after the service. Let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you for being here today. Thank you for the promise of heaven. Uh, we love you. We trust you. We give all to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So come and have a great day and a great holiday tomorrow.